live and pre-recorded. This is the Red Ticket Blues Podcast. I am Brian Buffy. This is being recorded. This is hitting the internet on May 1st, 2017. Um, there's plenty of forums to listen to. iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, TuneIn. Did I mention that? All the other ones. Uh, all those, but you can listen to all of them at the same time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BrianBuck13 and at RedTicketBlues. So we have Mr. Tim Donahue, former NBA referee. Um, he was involved in a uh, gambling scandal probably about 10 years ago. Uh, and he was generous enough to come on. Uh, we talked about his journey and, uh, you know, the ramifications of what happened with him. Uh, we also talk about, you know, his day-to-day life there and what it was like being an NBA referee, especially with what he was doing. And... What the NBA has done to, you know, rectify itself in a sense or lack of. So enough of me talking. Let's hear from Mr. Tim Donahue. He's a former NBA referee, author of the book Personal Foul, and runs refpicks.com. Tim Donahue, welcome to the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. So I I think, in my opinion, there's two enormous urban legends concerning you. So I'm just going to read them, and you tell me what is true and what is not true here. Uh, There's... This idea that everyone thinks you are responsible for the outcome of Game 6, 2002 Western Conference Finals. Uh, no, that is not true. I didn't referee that game. Um, you know, that was refereed by Bavetta, Delaney, and Ted Bernhardt. And, uh, you know, really, I had nothing to do with that. Do you find yourself attributed to that game unfairly? <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, it's all over the Internet. People think that I officiated that game. And, uh, you know, I was the reason why Sacramento got knocked out of the playoffs and L.A. was able to pick up that extra ring when, you know, in reality, Sacramento had the best team that year. Um, And the second one is you fixed countless games in the NBA. Right. Um, I think if uh, you read the forward for the book that I wrote, Personal Foul, uh, the forward was written by the FBI agent who arrested me. His name was Phil Scala. And, uh, you know, he said that I told the truth at every turn and I, I never went out and purposely made calls in games to make sure a team won or lost. So uh, I think that's untrue also. Uh, We will get back to the book and all the contents in one second. Um, Well, this is part of the book, actually. You decided to become a referee and sort of join the the family business as your father was a referee. Uh, We all know making the NBA as a player, it's it's microscopic, the the odds, it's very difficult. What's the likelihood of a guy refing intramurals at the YMCA making it to the NBA? Well, I mean, I think it's difficult. Just uh, getting to the top of any profession is difficult. Uh, Many people try to do it, and they take only the best of the best. So uh, I think it's extremely difficult, and you have to um, really dedicate yourself and do everything they ask you to do. And, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, you're one of the ones that they pick. You uh, you overcame those odds, I mean, to to make it to the NBA and be be an NBA referee. Uh, So when you get there, you realize that, the referees are betting on everything. How long did it take you to realize that they're maybe not the games, but just any and everything intricacies in society they're betting on? Well, you know, there's a lot of downtime when you're a referee, when you're on the road, you're away from your family and uh, you try to find things to occupy your time. And a lot of guys would go to the casinos or go and play golf or sit in a uh, hotel room and play cards. So uh, it was just a way to occupy our time. And even when we were home, uh, away from traveling, you know, we would always go and play golf and, and maybe drive down to Atlantic City and hit the casino from time to time. So it was just, uh, you know, what we found to, you know, entertain ourselves. When when you got there and you saw this, I'm not trying to be the morality police, um, 
But I mean, did you think, whoa, this this is not what I signed up for? Or was it just like, hey, you know, I'm enjoying this. I'm not rocking the boat. I'm going with this. No, it was fun. Are you kidding? I loved it. You know, uh, joining country clubs, playing cards, uh, being on the road, hitting the casinos. I, I loved it. I loved the action of gambling. And, uh, you know, uh, I was good at playing Texas Hold'em and I was good at uh, golf. So it was, uh, you know, a way for me to put some extra dollars in my pocket and, and have a blast doing it. So, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You mentioned in your book, Personal Foul, that uh, referees will even bet on, you know, if they have some sort of issue with a player, who will be the first one to call a technical? Who will be the first one to call a personal foul? Um, a lot of casual NBA fans are now tuning in. It's the NBA playoffs. I think we just clear up this rumor. Are there superstar calls? And if, there are, if they are, are they sent an exact directive from the league? Uh, there's definitely superstar calls. I mean, uh, you know, some some players get better uh, situations put in front of them than others do, and it, it has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, it explains to the referees that people don't pay a lot of money to sit in the front row to see somebody like LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony or, uh, you know, some of these big-time star players sit on the bench. So, you know, if you're going to blow the whistle against them, you better be 100% uh, correcting doing it. And if you can dish that foul off to somebody else that's in that vicinity, do that and don't give it to the star player. So uh, it's definitely discussed. And even when a, a player has four or five fouls during uh, stoppages and plays, the referees come together and, and discuss that and, uh, you know, tell each other, you know, the next one's going to foul him out of the game. So if we can give it to somebody else or avoid giving it to him at all, you know, do so. So does the league, I mean, is it sort of an unspoken thing? I mean, you guys obviously just mentioned in the game, you guys are talking about saying, oh, look, this guy's got this. We got to keep him in. I mean, is it sort of a hush-hush thing and implied by the league? Like, don't be stupid. We don't want LeBron James with four fouls in the first half. No, I mean, it's discussed from the group supervisors on down. And if you do call uh, a foul and send him to the bench, they'll, uh, you know, go over it with a fine-tooth comb. And if you're wrong, you're you're going to get, uh, you know, a lot of heat for it. So, it's it's not flat out, you know, put in emails from the league office. But trust me, when they, when the group supervisors come in and go over tape and and go over different plays with you, if you make a, a marginal call against one of those guys, you know, you're going to hear about it. Uh, one of the other uh, gameplay actions that's always discussed: the foul in the first quarter as opposed to the foul in the fourth quarter. Are you guys directed uh, to swallow the whistle late in fourth quarter games? You know, as a referee, you don't want to be the reason for a team winning or losing a game. Uh, that's why at the end of the game, uh, you know, the foul basically has to call itself and it has to be extremely obvious for you to blow the whistle. That's why, uh, you know, it's different in the last minute of a, a close game than it is uh, the previous quarter. So it's basically a situation where uh, the league doesn't want to be embarrassed. The referees don't want to be embarrassed. So in that situation, the foul basically has to call itself. So that's why rarely at the end of a game is a foul called. The the referees in games, I mean, some of us know them by name. Some of we definitely, if you watch enough NBA, you know them by face. Now, you mentioned in your book a lot of guys, they uh, were handpicked, like you mentioned Dick Favetta, uh, handpicked to be in certain games so they could dictate the flow. These guys that are constantly in playoff games, in finals series, uh, I mean, are they the best of the best refs, or are they the ones that can dictate the game the NBA wants? Or is it a combo of both? I think it's a little bit of both. They're definitely not the best of the best, because if you really grade everybody based on the rules as they're written in the rule book, 
you're going to have a mixed match of officials like you do in college. You don't see the same college referees at the final four every year. The NBA has 65, 70 referees, you know, so you're going to, you're going to tell me that the same 11 or 12 guys grade out at the top each and every year for the last, you know, 10 or 15 years that they were in the league. I don't think that's the case. And uh, I think that they handpicked them, you know, based on experience, based on uh, refereeing the names in the back of the jerseys and uh, knowing what team's up or down in the series and, and how to give the benefits of the calls to the team that's down in the series to prolong it. It's It's been years uh, since you refed. Um, and right now, obviously, the commissioner is uh, Adam Silver. You refed while the commissioner was David Stern. Uh, where do you stand on David Stern and his uh, enforcement of the integrity of the game in your tenure as an NBA referee? You know, there really wasn't any integrity with David Stern. I mean, it was all about the numbers for him. And we all know he made the famous statement where he said the best NBA finals would be the Lakers versus the Lakers. So uh, the referees knew that and, and we knew what the league office wanted and it was dictated to us through the group supervisors. And uh, the bottom line is, is that you refereed the games based on what the group supervisors told you to call. And they always put the team that was down in the series at an advantage and the team that was up at a disadvantage by telling you what to call and showing you film of what they wanted you to call that night. So it was all about the numbers when David Stern was around. You know, I think uh, a lot of people think that you you hatched this elaborate scheme to just scam the NBA when it really wasn't like that whatsoever. So how did it actually start when you said, all right, I'm, I'm going to start betting on NBA games? That was a situation where I was just out of control. I was betting on everything, and I had a buddy who uh, liked the NBA and was big into the NBA, and he asked me to pick a couple games for him one day, and, and I did, and all three won. Uh, I had just looked at the referee schedule to see who was officiating the games, and basically I knew who would be at an advantage or a disadvantage, and I thought the lines were off, and you know, from there I just started picking games for him, and uh, then when I had some information on some games that I was officiating, I even passed that along to him. And what I didn't realize is he was passing that information along to people that were associated with organized crime and they were making millions of dollars off the picks and it was heard over a Gambino wiretap. And next thing you know, a full blown investigation took place. You, we, we talked about earlier, um, you know, you, you've never actually tried to influence a game, especially, I mean, you've bet on games you refed. You realize some people may think that's, you know, BS. I mean, what, what would you say to that? I mean, yeah, really, Tim, you didn't have anything to do with that game when you had money on it. Well, the bottom line is, is, is my record was so good, I really never had to go out and fix a game. The, the NBA and the FBI both poured over all the tapes of uh, a lot of games that I officiated and, and never did they, uh, you know, find a call where they thought, was overly suspicious and I was one of the top rated referees in the NBA uh, for play calling accuracy. So uh, it was just a situation where, uh, you know, through their investigation and, and through the information I gave them determined that that wasn't the case. You, you just talked about uh, gambling and, and crime families. There's no perfect spot for me to ask you this in this interview, but I want to ask anyway, just to fit this in, because, it, again, we talk about urban legends. Michael Jordan, uh, the, the conspiracy theory uh, regarding his father's uh, murder and his disappearance from, from the NBA to go play minor league baseball. I mean, is any of that connected to gambling or the NBA telling him to cool it? Or in any of your walks of life, have you experienced any of that knowledge from there? 
Well, nothing firsthand. It was, it was always talked about that he definitely uh, was asked to step away from the game because of some of the stuff he was doing off the court. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of what he was doing or how he was doing it. But, you know, there was rumors about that, and that's why he was asked to step away. Uh, to, to be confident with these games, you have, you have to know these guys. You, you, I mean, you pass on this information to people that money's on the line. You have to have, you know, know these guys on a personal level to a certain extent. I've heard you say in interviews that Rasheed Wallace was the you know, biggest pain in the ass. Um, who would be the next guy on that list in your, in your time in the NBA? You know, a guy like Chauncey Billups was, uh, you know, very really? difficult to get along with. Um, just, you know, you felt like, uh, you know, no matter when you blew the whistle, it wasn't going to be acceptable to him. Uh, you know, he, uh, he was just one of those guys where it was tough. Anybody with Detroit, Rip Hamilton was tough to get along with. Um, so, uh, you know, they all had that same attitude. Bonzi Wells was difficult. So, uh, you know, a lot of those guys in Portland and Detroit were hard. That's shocking seeing that, like, Chauncey Billups is, you know, he's on TV now. He's Mr. Nice Guy. He's like, everyone seems to love him. He was a real pain in the ass, really. Yeah, very difficult. Uh, So when everything starts to unravel, and uh, the FBI is now the one you're sort of calling the shots, you went against your lawyer's advice and confessed everything. Why is that? You know, I I just felt that, uh, you know, I was embarrassed. I felt guilty about what I did, and and I, I did do it. Uh, you know, and, and I knew that, uh, you know, my life was unraveling and I just couldn't live with it, to be honest with you. So I just felt that it was in my best interest and, and my family's best interest that I, I go in and just tell them the truth and let the chips fall where they may. You know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. If I had the chance to go back and do it all again, I, I probably would keep my mouth shut, to be honest with you. Uh, I think the prosecutor really uh, stuck it to me there at the end and, and didn't support me. And if it wasn't for the support of the FBI, it would have been extremely difficult. Obviously, the fallout from all of this was uh, some prison time. And I believe me, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You started writing the book or getting the idea to write the book in prison. And my question is, you, you name a lot of NBA referees, you know, Ronnie Dunn, Dick Pavetta, who, Steve Javi, whoever it may be. And you, 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 you reveal like what they've done, you know, it's stuff that is would cost them their job or make them their, their, their image be sullied a bit. Did you think twice about sort of airing that dirty laundry? No, because I wanted people to understand what I did and how I did it and, and what was going on and what the culture was. Uh, you know, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I let a lot of those guys and I'm not going to name names uh, off the hook because I could have ruined them with, with talking about women and drugs and other stuff that they did. And, you know, I just had an agreement with my dad that if I was going to write the book, uh, you know, to, to, to not leave out, you know, the fact that, you know, I might ruin somebody else's family. So I left all that really good, juicy stuff out of the book when I, when I could have really buried people uh, a lot further than, than uh, burying myself. Do you see some of the referees uh, in the NBA now, maybe, you know, maybe new guys that you're not familiar with continuing the trends that some of these these referees, at least on the court, I should say, continuing some of the trends that these referees that you talked about in the book. No, I, I think now they, they have these guys come in, they're more like robots. They're uh, structured to just call, uh, you know, what's in front of them and not really uh, go out of their way because, you know, there's a probation period of, of uh, doing certain things and, you know, they want to keep their job. So I, I think that they're going to stick strictly to the book. 
I have to ask you this question. Um, you mentioned a gambling, uh, obviously there's a gambling issue in your life. Uh, it's caused major problems that I don't need to tell you about. Does it feel odd, you know, being involved with sports handicapping right now with refpicks.com? Definitely. I get that question a lot, but the bottom line is it wasn't my first profession uh, of choice. And I tried a lot of other things. I sent out over 150 resumes and this opportunity was brought to me and uh, by a guy out of Allentown, Danny B. And, uh, you know, it worked. There's a big market out there for people uh, that are looking for advice on gambling. Uh, I'm, I'm good at uh, giving the advice. Uh, I do very well uh, in the NBA and, and therefore I'm able to survive and, and create a living for myself. So, you know, again, it definitely wasn't my first career choice, but it was something that uh, has allowed me to be successful again. So, you know, that's the road I'm going down at this point. So with refpicks.com, I mean, I'm someone who likes to put some money on games. Uh, I peruse the internet completely haphazardly looking for advice. Why, I mean, why should people go to refpicks.com instead of, you know, one of the countless other sites available on the internet? You know, I think that we have the uh, top of the line people in the business, Paul Bovey, uh, Danny B, and I think that we get some good information and, and we do something that other sites don't do. And that's, uh, you know, uh, give advice out on, games based on the officials in the NBA. And when the point spread is off, uh, you know, by several numbers, we, we exercise that option to bet that game. And I'll give you an example. Last night in game seven of um, the Clippers and uh, the Jazz, uh, you look at Billy Kennedy, who's refereeing that game seven. Uh, we all know that most home teams, you know, win a game seven on their home floor. We went with the Jazz and we went with the Jazz because – Billy Kennedy has had a long grudge with Doc Rivers. Uh, there's no secret that uh, in the past, Doc Rivers, you know, uh, called him out for being gay. Uh, you know, they had problems that he was fined. He was suspended. Uh, they've had a long rift. And, you know, I knew going into that game last night that any, if Kennedy had the opportunity to stick it to him in any way, shape or form, he was going to. And, and, you know, not only does, uh, uh, Utah cover, but they flat out win the game. And, and I think it has a little bit to do with the fact that Bill Kennedy's on that floor in a game seven. Very, very interesting, interesting stuff there. Exactly. Looking at stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the players on the floor, but the referee and the coach relationship. Uh, at the end of your book, you listed a few suggestions on how the NBA could, you know, avoid a similar situation that, that you were in or maybe other referees are in. I think you mentioned things like a central city hub for referees to establish like a stable life pay them all the same salary. Has the NBA acted on any of those suggestions you laid out under David Stern or even under Adam Silver? No, I mean, they've, uh, they've uh, you know, increased their referee pool dramatically and they're going to do that even more in the future. And I think, you know, you put them all, make them all live in Chicago or you make them all live in Dallas to where they can get to, to every city uh, pretty quickly. And when you're not refereeing games, you're, you know, you're in a... Um, a structure of a classroom where you're constantly learning and, and not have uh, everybody all over the country and, and not in the same central unit. So I think in order to, you know, keep everybody together and keep them educating and learning, you know, you put them all in, in one area like any business does and, and you, you ship them out from there to go do their games. Commissioner Adam Silver is uh, he's in favor of legalized gambling. Which is, which is definitely a different take for most commissioners. I mean, I think even the most casual sports fan can tell that NBA referees can manipulate a game unlike any, uh, any other sport. 
Should we be wary that silver is so gung-ho on this, or is this just the changing of the times? Here's the problem, uh, I mean, with the NBA. ESPN's laying off, you know, hundreds of people. You know, why are they doing that? Because they overpaid dramatically for the NBA, uh, the TV rights. Uh, Adam Silver's no dummy. He knows they overpaid. He knows when the next contract comes up. It's, it's not going to be anywhere near what this one is. They have to start figuring out a different stream of revenue. And the one way to, you know, bring in that revenue is, is through gambling, uh, having a system in place where maybe you can place bets in, in every arena across the country at a kiosk before you go down to your seat. So they have to come up with different streams of revenue. They're, they're going to come up with something because, uh, you know, this TV deal was so lucrative this time and it, it's not going to be the next time. The, the, I guess the, Sort of a caveat to that is, you know, the 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 payroll has increased, and players, you know, even the most fringe NBA players getting paid more. Would could you ever see players? I, it seems odd to even say, but do could you see players being compromised by possible gambling in the NBA? You know, I I think that they could definitely give out information to their buddies. Uh, you know, if, if somebody's not a hundred percent, or if somebody's going to sit out a game, uh, we saw it this year when. Uh, you know, Cleveland sat all their players. I think it was a road game at the Clippers. Uh, you know, that stuff definitely leaks out early in the afternoon. People are able to take advantage of it. That's huge information. Uh, not only did the Clippers win, they covered in that game. So stuff like that, when it starts to leak out, people take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, I, I know for a fact that, uh, you know, that stuff isn't, isn't kept on their wraps. That stuff's, uh, you know, being disseminated to a bunch of different people before it hits the newswire. So with refpicks.com, legalized gambling, I mean, does that worry you? Does that hurt, help someone in your position? I think it helps because people aren't trying to, you know, place bets overseas. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people that come to us that, that have trouble uh, collecting from a bookie or, or have trouble finding places to play and, and bet. So, you know, if it legalizes it, you know, you're going to be able to walk into the you know, local uh, establishment in place of bet. So it definitely would help. Uh, real quick, three three rapid-fire questions here to play us out. You ready? Sure. Have you been to a NBA game since you last refereed? I have. I went to a New York Knicks uh, game versus the Dallas Mavericks and uh, had a nice conversation with Mark Cuban, and it was uh, great to see him. He was more than cordial, and, uh, you know, he's a terrific guy. So, yes. Uh, number two, uh, everyone wants the salacious details, like myself, of uh, who is, you know, a real ass in the NBA. Who was the nicest player you ever refereed? Uh, definitely David Robinson. I'll never forget early in my career, uh, you know, I got caught behind somebody. He got fouled and I didn't blow the whistle. And, you know, he came at me at, a, at the dead ball and said, you know, Tim, what are you doing? I, I just got fouled. And I said, you know what, David, I, I know I think you did get fouled and I got caught. Uh, behind somebody and I, I didn't see it and I apologize and instead of him being a complete jackass he patted me on the back he said Tim you know no problem that happens just you know hopefully it won't happen again I said yeah I apologize so great guy how, how often were guys like that not very often, not very often at all. <laughs> uh, and the last one here, I imagine the NBA is, is praying for another Cavs-Warriors final for that rubber match. Uh, is there any team left in the NBA right now, in your opinion, that you could see the NBA really wishing was in the finals? No, not right now, because I think Cleveland and, uh, and Golden State, like you said, it's a rubber match. It's going to be the 
situation where it's going to bring the most global attention with Perry and, and LeBron and the kind of bad blood between those two teams it's forming. So, you know, it's all about the TV ratings and, and uh, getting the most global attention. And I think at this point, that's what's going to uh, bring it. He's Tim Donahue. You can follow him on Twitter at Tim Donahue too. Uh, like I said, personal foul is an excellent read for anyone. Refpicks.com. And if you need to call him, 1-800-308-9003. Tim, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, pal. So there he is, Mr. Tim Donahue. Um, hope everyone enjoyed that. I thought it was. I thought he was very forthcoming. Answered all the questions. Was honest. So I. I, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, remember, you can listen to the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play. Leave a review if you would be so kind on any of those. I'd really appreciate it. It'd be a personal favor. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at RyanBuck13 and at RedTicketBlues. See you later this week. I'm out of here.